Sports and Sound. I'm your host, Alan Kiger, and what you're about to listen to was previously recorded for a radio interview. This is Sights and Sounds. I'm your host, Alan Kiger, and my guest today is Danny Shirley of Confederate Railroad. Danny, how's your night going? It's going great. Just had a great show with Easton Corbin and here in uh, Illinois, and thoroughly enjoyed it. Great crowd. It was a great crowd. Played all your hits? Most of them. I don't work off a set list. I just, whatever pops in my head, we do. And um, I was informed at the autograph line that I left out a couple that people <laughs> were looking for, but I missed those. But that's the way it goes. Now, for the listeners, you had success as a band member with Johnny Paycheck, David Allen Coe. What? What are just tell a little story maybe of each one of those shortly that the that the listeners might want to hear. Well, that's true. Uh, uh, we were the David Island Co. Band, actually all Confederate Railroad. Uh, David and I had a unique uh, arrangement, business arrangement. And when I got the record deal with Confederate Railroad, uh, the whole band and crew went with me because they were employed by me. And so we were the David Island Co. Band. And uh, with Johnny Paycheck. When he was getting ready to go to prison uh, back in the, gosh, what was it, the 80s, uh, John and I were friends. We'd done work together before. And he said, I want to make all the money I can before I go into get locked up. And uh, he said, I know this thing with you and David Allen Coe is going good. He said, would you mind doing some shows, booking some shows for me? So we go out for like three weeks as the David Allen Coe band. Then I'd go out for a week as the Johnny Paycheck band. So uh, it was uh, it was a great learning experience. You know, they say there's that old saying you learn from your mistakes. I was able to stand on stage with Johnny Paycheck and David Allen Coe, who uh, they would admit had made some mistakes in their career. And I was able to see, well, when they did this, it didn't work out well. So when I get my career going, I want to do it this way instead of that. And it's a funny story, me and David met in uh, Nashville uh, one day and uh, just by accident, and uh, we had breakfast together, and then I said, well, I've got to go to the studio and do a, uh, some vocals to be on a ride with me. So David got in the truck with me, and he said, you know how gruff David is? said, I read this interview you did the other day, kind of pissed me off. And I laughed, and I said, well, what did I say about you? And he said, you told this guy you learned more about what not to do in the music business than what to do. He said, then I got to think about it and realize he's probably right. <laughs> you know, so uh, it, was a great, it was a great way to come up in the music business. Okay. Well, one of the one of the questions I had for you, working with David Alco, fantastic songwriter. Oh, amazing! Did you get any songwriting help from him, or did you learn any songwriting? We never skills? wrote anything together. Okay. Um, um, you know, when I got my record deal, uh, we had the, the first meeting. We had to, to listen to music and all. Uh, I took songs that I had written and uh, that I thought was the best things I'd done, and. Um, there were people selling pencils on street corners in Nashville writing better songs than I was. Uh, so I had to make the decision, do I stick with what I've written or do I go with the better music? And I went with the better music. And uh, then I worked on my songwriting as my career progressed that I did more and more of my songs because they were better songs than I had written earlier. But uh, I'm sure, you know, anytime you're around a talent like David or Paycheck, you're gonna pick up things from them, whether you realize it or not. Just osmosis, you know, when you're that yeah. close, you're gonna learn some things from them. And uh, listen to David's songs and, and Paycheck songs. I'm sure a lot of that bled through in my songwriting, yeah. Okay, well, Confederate Railroads had a very successful career. Five million albums sold, 
uh, one going double platinum, one going platinum. I believe it. I think he had 16 hit songs. If I if I did my notes correct, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, when you said something on stage, I added this to my notes. When you leave that way, you can yeah. never come back. One of the songs you sang, and you said that was Mickey Mantle's favorite song. We How were, did you find out? We about were doing that? a show in Atlanta, and his manager, he had a female manager, and uh, she came to the show. And uh, after the show came, was over, she said, I forgot you did that song. I said, Mickey just loved that song. And I thought, man, how cool is that Mickey Man Mickey list Mantle, of my records? That's, that is and, that uh, is really that, cool. That was, that was a cool deal. Um, uh, okay, I had to stop here and try to reread my notes Don't get tongue-tied now. No, uh, Confederate Railroad songs, you've got a great story song. That is white trash with money, <laughs> and we kind of, kind of. I'm going to tie that in. We talked a little bit tonight. White trash with money. That was up for a Grammy award. How cool was that? I mean, you talk about the song and doctors and lawyers living in the neighborhood. Did they really not like you? The way being that there? came along in um, in February of '94, I bought this big house there in my hometown of Chattanooga, uh, a real nice upscale subdivision. And um, we were so busy that year. We did 273 shows that year. Oh my gosh. And I had to pay my cousin to live there and she ran the house while I was gone. And that was in February. I had some work done on it. So we didn't take, uh, didn't move in until June. And um, between, June, between June and Thanksgiving, I spent six nights there because we were on the road all the time. And uh, come Thanksgiving, you know, we take a break. And I'm out walking around the property, looking around, kind of, kind of learning about my house and everything. And one of the neighbors saw me and walked up to me. And we talked for a little bit. And he said, man, he said, I got to tell you, he said, we heard you was moving in the neighborhood. He said, uh, we got had a meeting and, and talked about buying this house so you wouldn't move here. He said, judging your videos, your music and everything, we thought there's going to be Harleys in the front yard and strippers in the pool and wild parties. <laughs> and he said, y'all like the calmest people in the neighborhood. And, uh, you know, which if you entertain for a living, the last thing I will do when I get home is have a party, you yeah. know. And um, so we just kept, you know, real low key and, and uh, enjoyed the peace and quiet there. But I told him, I said, now, you listen to the radio. I said, one of these days you're going to hear a song about this conversation. <laughs> and uh, that's when I wrote the song, White Trash With Money. So yeah, it was based on true true events. Yeah. Well, you talk about a lot of true events up there, and I I'm gonna put you on the spot here. You you can de decline to answer, but you you have a lot of songs that talk about ex-wives and stories from ex-wives and houses that ex-wives have. Was it worth the pain to have the song to have the hit? And how many ex-wives did you have? I had more than I should have. <laughs> um, I got married when I was 19 and she was 18, so that was a mistake, you know, George Kids. But um, um, that one didn't work out. Then the um, there was drugs and alcohol involved in the second one. That was a wild time in my life and her life too, and that never works out. And um, um, when I married Jenny, the girl from uh, Geneseo, that was, that was really good for like, we was together like 20 years. And uh, out of the blue, uh, I was just informed that it was pretty much over. And uh, it caught me off guard, I wasn't expecting it. And uh, uh, I got really at a, a really low point right there. I mean, uh, 
You know, I was in my 50s, and all of a sudden got to start my whole life over. And you know, when that happened, of course, we had two kids together, and uh, she would never realize it, but not only did, by the time we divorced, I was so pissed off at her. I could care if I'm sorry or not. But you know, the, the house that I had worked so hard to own, all my possessions that, you know, uh, that I had dreamed of having my whole life, I'm watching this stuff be sold off or next to nothing or given away or thrown in the trash, you know? And and the biggest thing, my kids, you know, I had, uh, uh, not only do you lose your kids, but as they get older and, and get married and have children, the grandkids are gonna go to their her house right. more than mine. So I, I, it's like I lost my granny. It's like you took everything from me. And uh, I, was, I was pissed off uh, exceptionally. And I was at a very low point in my life. And um, I happened to run into a, a, a girl that I had known for maybe 10, 12 years before. She used to date my old keyboard player, actually. And uh, they had broken up in seven, you know, they broke up years earlier. And uh, me and her just hit it off. And uh, she was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And she, uh, she basically saved my life because at that point in my life, I didn't care if I lived or died. And uh, on one of the albums, uh, I even in the liner notes listed her, thank you for saving my life. But uh, uh, she and I have been, well, actually, Dad from Mars, our seventh anniversary. Happy and we've been together for 10 years, but we've been married for seven uh, on Sunday, and uh, she's just great. Okay, that is absolutely awesome. I'll, I'll come back. What's her name? Misty. Misty. I'll try to remember. No, wait a minute. It's, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> now, Danny, the old coach of the Atlanta Falcons, Jerry, Jerry Glanville, yeah. He's in some of your I videos. I still see Jerry. Every okay, now, that's man. what I was going to ask him. We were and doing he, a show in Indiana a couple months ago, and his whole family came down. Really? Uh, yeah, he uh, got up and sang Knocking on Heaven's Door with me. Uh, that's, uh, well, yeah. We used to play at a club in Atlanta called Miss Kitty's back in the 80s. And uh, the rotation of house bands there was me, uh, Little Texas, Travis Tritt, and John Barry, or any of us had records. And uh, Jerry was, that's when he coached the Falcons. And he got to coming in there, and he'd, uh, every Thursday night he'd be in there. And he'd, every night, he'd get up and sing, knocking on heaven's door with me. He just loved that song. And uh, he and I have stayed close. Uh, he was in the first two videos, uh, She Took It Like a Man and uh, Queen of Memphis. And uh, we got so close that when my oldest son graduated high school, he's playing football, Jerry came to speak at his uh, 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 banquet, you know, talking to football wow. players and stuff. And then his son wanted to get in the music business as a sound engineer, and we took him out on the road, and my engineer worked with him and got him started and everything. So we've been close for years. I knew his mother, uh, you know, she's deceased now, uh, his brother, his sister-in-law, uh, I played at his nephew's uh, wedding. So we've been closed for a long, long time. I, that was that was one of my main questions. I always just loved those videos and watched it. Did you take any of the NASCAR races? Did you do any of that stuff together? It was funny. Back uh, back then, he would have, uh, the Falcons have like, uh, I'd go down on the sidelines, had a Vander Holyfield, had MC Hammer, and we'd all hang out on the sidelines down there. And the NFL got on him about that about having us down on the sidelines. So he signed, he uh, put me on the payroll as uh, I never got a check, but he put me on the payroll as his personal assistant. And that's when I had the long hair and everything. And I'd put my hair up under my hat 
and I would hold the cord on his, uh, that before they went wireless for headphones, I'd hold the cord on his <laughs> on his headphones walk around with him. That way I was a, I could be down there because I was official member of the Atlanta Falcons organization. But uh, uh, we were in Washington, he was playing the Redskins. And um, he said, uh, we was on sidelines, game wasn't going good. He said, if I lose this game, he said, uh, they're probably gonna fire me. He said, I'm probably gonna need a job driving your bus. And I said, Jerry, I said, I've seen you drive them cars. I said, I don't think I'd sleep real good when you drive my bus. <laughs> you know that kind of leads to this, my next question. You've been on the road for 40 plus years. I started my first show was July the 26th of 1976. Just me and a guitar. And it was in there in Chattanooga at a little place called the Ranch House. And it was so long ago that I wore a leisure suit that night and I was in, <laughs> I was in style, I was in fashion. And me and my dad built the stage up there. They didn't have a stage, so me and him got together and built a little stage for him. And he bought me my first PA system to play in there, yeah. So find, you know, if there's just one story that pops in the top of your head from all those years on the road, not a dirt story, but just something that, a memorable moment, a fan you met, somebody you helped, something Well, the, that... the greatest thing, uh, they have a bigger, uh, it used to be a big festival there in Chattanooga called Riverbend. And um, uh, now I'm probably gonna get choked up telling this story. But um, uh, the first year they ever had Riverbend, they had, they, it's like they've had ZZ Top, Leonard Skinner, Alabama, just everybody from every, kind of music's played there. And it's like a seven night event. Oh no, I'm sorry, nine, nine or 10 nights back then. And uh, the first year they had it, they had uh, uh, Ricky Skaggs was a headliner. And uh, we were on one of the smaller stages. They got stages all through Chattanooga back then. And um, um, I was there the very first one. And when we hit big, uh, we, we headlined that in 95, I think it was. And uh, it's right there on the Tennessee River. You would park your bus on the other side of the river and they would bring you over by houseboat because the stage was a big barge. And uh, it was just, just a great, great festival. And uh, so uh, you're always nervous playing your hometown. You know, cause you wanna do the best show ever because you know, you're, you're elementary school teachers there, you know, your, your first girlfriend or the first one broke your heart, whatever. And um, so I'm, I'm a little high strung about it anyway, a little nervous about it. And uh, we get on the, uh, the houseboat to come over and uh, DJ buddy of mine there in town says, well, what's the biggest crowd you ever played for? And I said, uh, about 80,000 at Wembley in London. And he said, we expect to have 80,000 here tonight. And I've got, whoa, you know, and uh, the chill run up my spine. So we're sitting there in the houseboat waiting for showtime and it comes on the uh, uh, PA, all-time record, 138,000 people. And I'm like, good crew, you know. I just start tearing up and stuff. And um, then I'm, I'm walking up the stage and uh, they put me on the big screen. And I walk out there to a standing ovation and with 138,000 people, you can feel them hollering for you. You can feel the, the pressure, the wind from them. And by this time, I'm like, oh, God, you know. And uh, the show went great. The show went great. Next day, the headline of the Chattanooga paper was hometown hero, Conker's Riverbend. That is a beautiful story. Man. And thank you for sharing it. That was great. That's the best one I've gotten out of one of those questions. But that was the highlight of my career right there, playing my hometown. 
138,000 people. I love hearing stories like that. Now I'm gonna ask you some fun questions, and then we're gonna talk about a show you're gonna have yep. in Southern Indiana. So, you're married now, yep. Misty, got your seventh anniversary coming up this yep. Sunday. Where did you guys go for your honeymoon? We didn't have a honeymoon. We you honeymoon. might want to get with this. We were honeymoon for three years before we got married. <laughs> okay, okay. Question number two would be, name a place you would like to go that you've never been. To play? Whatever. Visit, play. I would really like to go to Africa. I would like to see elephants, giraffes, and all that stuff there in, in nature. Don't want to shoot nothing, don't kill nothing. I would just really love to see that. Okay. Yep. What's your favorite food to eat? Lobster. Okay. What would be one of your favorite movies? Outlaw Josie Wells. Oh, great show, great show. Last one of those questions would be, if you, if you got home in your vehicle, well, I'm gonna go CD since we're of CD age, Who's probably in your CD player that you're listening to right now? Steely Dan. Oh, I like that. Yeah, my favorite album of all time, though, is Yellow Brick Road, Elton John. Very, very uh, cool. But uh, I listen to more Steely Dan than anything else now. Now, are you going to get it? I know they're out touring with the, the Eagles. Are you going to try to... They haven't contacted me to come. No, no, no. <laughs> Are you going to try to maybe go to one of the shows? No, I don't no. ever go to shows. Oh, you don't go to shows? I don't ever go to shows. Uh, I get off the road, I don't leave the house. Okay. Uh, well, there's absolutely nothing out there that is worth leaving the house for, except uh, me and my boys. Uh, I've got three boys, and we get together once a month to have dinner. Well, that's nice. Yep. Yeah. Uh, two in Nashville, and uh, I was just in Colorado last week. My oldest, uh, uh, end of May, moved to Colorado Springs. Beautiful place. Yep, yep. Beautiful it's place. Pretty, yep. Now you're going to be playing August 18th, Evansville, Indiana. Okay. You're going to be playing with the Kentucky Headhunters. Yep. Tell the listeners a little bit of what Did what you they know might. they were my cousins? I heard that the last time we saw you. So yep. how, how does that work? Back when I was with David Allen Coe, uh, there in the late 80s, I think they hit an 89 Headhunters about that time. And I had an uncle that kept up with that family history stuff. And uh, he said, have you heard that band Kentucky Headhunters? I said, yeah, they're real good. He said, well, he said, Richard and Fred are your cousins. And he went on to explain their grandmother on their mother's side was a Shirley. And he said, you know, y'all talk to him, maybe help you get a record deal. And I'm thinking, well, you can't really do that. You know, <laughs> hey man, I'm a cousin. You can't get a record deal. <laughs> so even though we crossed paths, I never brought it up. And then when we hit big, uh, I was in uh, at a hotel in Nashville, and uh, from across the lobby there, I could hear Richard. Of course, you can't mistake his voice. Uh, no. Hi, Daddy. Hi, Daddy. Did you know we was cousins? And I said I did, but I couldn't say nothing about it. But uh, uh, yeah, we uh, uh, they're, they're great, and we do a lot of shows, a lot of shows together. We're looking forward to getting down there to that one. Now, I also saw that you're coming to the Terre Haute Fairgrounds September 8th. September so, 8th, yeah. I happen to know that date because uh, I just put a date on the 10th, so I had to uh, route that. Yeah. I'm just trying to let the listeners know where you're going to be. What so kind of show is that? The Fairgrounds? You it's said? at the Fairgrounds. Is so it the fair? I don't know if, if the Terre Haute Fair is going on. I don't know what the. I don't know. I, I tried to look that up and didn't find anything on that. So, 
Well, Danny, I want to say thanks. I'll tell you, let me tell you one more no, thing. No, no, tell me. We, was, uh, we was in Fort Wayne, one, Fort Wayne, Indiana one time. And y'all got that store in Indiana, what, Myers or Majors? Uh, Myers, Myers. Myers. And me and my old t-shirt guy, we was in a in, in the store, and I, I, <laughs> this girl was working there, and I said, ma'am, I said, we're not from here. I said, how do you pronounce the name of this place? She said, Fort Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> Fort Wayne. <laughs> and we just died laughing. We still joke about that. Now you do you do a lot of shows right here in the Midwest. Is this one of your We key? do. Um, uh, it's it's been a great market. Our, our biggest market is like Ohio, West Virginia, uh, southwestern Pennsylvania, and then over in Indiana, Illinois. It's been a great market for us over the years. Okay. Well, Danny, I sure want to say thanks for being oh, my, my guest. It was great having you here on Sights and Sounds. Wish you nothing but the best. Listeners, make sure you get out to one of those two shows in Indiana at September 8th down at Terre Haute at the Fairgrounds. Or we got August 18th with the Kentucky Headhunters down in Evansville, Indiana. I believe tickets for that one are on sale at Live Nation. Danny, thanks for being my guest. I oh, it's my pleasure. This is Alan Kiger, and I hope you've enjoyed the interview. On Sights and Sounds, the music that frames this podcast is the original music of Paul Myrie.